All right. So we are starting a new study tonight, and uh, you should have received on your way in. Did everyone get a copy of this? Got a paper? Look. Anyone missing this? Anyone did not get the handout tonight? Everyone's good? Look at that. Good job, team. Good job, Debbie. Passing them out. All right. Awesome. 100%. Check that out. A+. Plus. Now everyone's afraid to ruin it, like someone didn't get one, and they don't want to raise their hands because they don't want to spoil it. And... Awesome. So I do hope, um, so we've been advertising this series as the Bible is for everyone. I do hope that you'll forgive me, um, but I think, uh, but we had a last minute change of heart and we decided to change the name of the study. And so the new name of the study is this. Go for it. The Bible is for smart people. So everyone ready for this? Everyone in here, you are smart people, right? I'm just kidding. Really, it's this. The Bible is for pastors. Pastors. So, sorry about you. Um, Bible's for me. Um, Obviously, that's not true, right? Um, When we talk about the Bible, the Bible is not exclusively for. Sometimes when we look at it, we say, wow, that person, they know how to study the Bible. Their mind, oh, they're so gifted, this or that. And I listen to people um, teach, preach, and I just, wow, I'm amazed by what they can gather out of the word, and it can be intimidating um, to open it up. I mean, because this is, this is a larger book than most of us, right, have probably read. Most of us don't go around reading books that are thousands of pages long for hobbies, right? Maybe a few of us here or there, but uh, we think, oh, man, it's for smart people. Uh, it's for pastors. Uh, yeah, that's who the Bible's for. Um, there was this thing that happened, you know, five, 600 years ago called the Reformation, um, and it was kind of based all around the fact that the Bible is not just for clergy. The Bible is for the common man. The Bible is, in fact, uh, some of us even may believe this, the Bible is for Christians. Um, now, is the Bible for Christians? Yes, absolutely. Is the Bible only for Christians? Well, to that, I would answer no. Because the Bible teaches us, in the book of Romans, says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The Word of God. And so, if you're sitting here today and you identify as a Christian, The reason you identify as a Christian is because you were granted faith that came by hearing, that came by the Word of God. So if you were not exposed to the Word of God before you were a Christian, you wouldn't be sitting in here identifying yourself as a Christian today. And so if you're sitting in here today, if there's someone in here, you say, you know what, I don't identify as a Christian. You came because a friend invited you. You came because uh, you feel like you should or you're curious or whatever it may be. Let me tell you this. I'm glad you're here. The Bible is for you. The Bible is for you. In fact, that's why we decided to call this series, why I want to call this study, The Bible is for Everyone. The Bible is for Everyone. Now, uh, as we jump in here, I want to start with, I love this. I called this week's study, uh, Chop Your Own Firewood. Chop Your Own Firewood. Henry Ford uh, had on his mantle, he had it engraved in his mantle, this phrase, chop your own wood and it will warm you twice. And I thought it was a wonderful thought. I thought it was an awesome thought. Uh, how many of you guys have ever chopped firewood? Um, awesome. Um, I've had to chop firewood too many times. Um, we didn't have houses that had, you know, capability for that. Maybe do a bonfire like once a year or something. I can remember one time uh, I was out uh, visiting a friend of mine out in the mountains in Arizona. And uh, most people think Arizona desert hot, right? Well, we're up in the mountains. It's snowing. And I don't even, I lived in Southern California at the time. I did not have a jacket with me. I'm like in a T-shirt. And they're like, hey, uh, we need some firewood. And so I was 
college student. Um, and so I was like, sure. And so we go outside, my friend and I go outside, and we're chopping firewood. Um, let me tell you this. It was snowing, but I was not cold. I mean, because we were working. We were taking this axe, and we were swinging it, and we were working up a sweat even in the cold because we were chopping, we were doing this work. And so, uh, obviously, so what's the second time we warm ourselves with? We warm ourselves with it when we place it in the fire, right? So it can be true of the Word of God. When we go to the Word of God, and when we're even through the process of studying the Word of God, we glean things, we gain from it. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline that exposes us to truth from Scripture. And so it's not only when we come to the application point that this process grows, but even the process of studying the Word of God helps us to grow and to maturate and to become like Christ. So as we jump in here, I want to start with this. Why should we study the Bible? Now, these are, this is not an exhaustive list, okay, because you could come up with probably dozens of answers of why you should study the Bible. But I chose three things that I wanted to highlight that I thought are just very explicit, very clear in the Scripture. The first is this. It's commanded by God. It's commanded by God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what's interesting about that statement to me um, is he doesn't say, he doesn't just say, uh, read to show thyself approved to God. What's the word that he uses? Study. Study. Now, is reading the Bible a bad thing? No. No, I, I would never criticize, condemn. In fact, I think um, when we go through plans like reading through the Bible in a certain period of time and things like that, I think this can be really beneficial. Because those help us to have an understanding of the storyline of Scripture, helps to have understanding of themes within Scripture, helps us to be familiar with the Scripture. So those do some wonderful things. But what we're talking about tonight is we're talking about studying the Word of God. We're talking about, okay, what's that next step look like? How do I dig into? How do I glean? How do I understand these things that are being talked about? And so we see that study is commanded by God. And it's even interesting, if you look at the last part of that verse, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Um, implicitly, that means that there is a way to wrongly divide the word of truth, right? And I'm not saying that to be intimidating and say, oh, you're doing this. No, 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 no. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but it says, hey, we need to rightly learn how to study the Scripture so that we can walk away understanding what the Scripture means. And like I said, we'll get to that in a minute. This is not a, uh, I hope this whole thing is encouraging and challenging. In no way is any of this uh, condemning or looking down. What I want to do is this. Tonight and through this study, I want to equip you. Uh, I want to give you tools. How many guys, how many guys, women, whoever, how many of you have tools? You like using tools. How many of you can't have enough tools? All right? Yeah, yeah, you guys get it. You guys get it. All right? You always, if you, if you work with your hands, you always, there's always something else you want. Um, and you're like, hey, I need this saw for something. And your wife's like, you just bought a saw. And you're like, yeah, 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 but that's a, that's, a, that's a jigsaw, and I need a circular saw, okay? And she's like, what's the difference? And you're like, what do you mean, what's the difference? Oh, are you kidding me? You know, we always need new, right? So what I want to do tonight is I want to, through this study, I want to give you tools to be able to study the Word of God. I'm not trying to go into your arsenal and be like, don't use this, don't use this. No, I'm trying to add to. I'm trying to supplement. Because the fact is that the Word of God is so uh, valuable that it's worth studying. We'll get there in just a minute. Secondly, we see this. It's not just commanded by God, but we see the example of the Bereans. The example of the Bereans. And we don't know a whole lot about the Bereans. What we do know is really, really good, okay? Um, the Bereans uh, are a group of believers that are only mentioned a couple times in the Scripture, most notably in Acts 17. Um, and as we look at this, their name is not even in this verse. It's in the verse prior to this. Um, but in verse 11 of chapter 17, 
Luke is writing, he describes the Bereans. He says, these, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and, watch this, searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So not only do they hear the scriptures, but they decide to search the scriptures. They don't just receive it and accept it blindly, but they go into it and they fact check Paul. Think about that. We think of Paul, we're like, whoa, Paul, right? And we have a lot of respect for Paul, rightfully so in a lot of ways. But you know, as he's teaching these things, they didn't just say, oh, well, Paul said it, so that's enough. And lay the scriptures off to the side. You know what they did? They went to the scriptures. They said, you know what? That sounds reasonable. They received it with readiness of mind. That sounds reasonable. That sounds true. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about that. And let me tell you this. This may be just me personally as a pastor, but I I know uh, Pastor Rands would agree with this, Pastor Chris, any of our pastors on our staff. um, If you hear something that we say from scripture, feel free to fact check us with scripture. If you say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm curious about that. You said this and it piqued my interest. Feel free to ask a question. We desire that you ask a question. Because here's the, here's the thing. If we're right, we can help you to understand this thing. If we're wrong, we can understand it correctly. Because we don't, listen, understand, my, my truth is not the reason that I stand up here, sit up here, that I communicate the scripture to you. I communicate the scripture to you because I love the truth of the word of God. And if I'm wrong on something within the word of God, I want to know the word of God. And as a fellow believer, in fact, We need to say the word of God is superior to my opinions, your opinions, my thoughts, my feelings. The word of God is absolute. And that's what the Bereans are doing. And Paul doesn't have that issue, right? He doesn't say, oh, they came back at me and then they proved everything wrong. No, they searched the scriptures and they saw that these things were so. They saw that these things were true, that Jesus was the Messiah that was come, that he fulfilled these promises and these prophecies and that he was the one that they had been waiting for. Uh, Third one here, the value of the word of God. The value of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, give us a lot of insight into the scripture. This is Paul once again writing to Timothy. And he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It means it's valuable, it's useful, it's helpful for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And all of these things lead to this point, that the man of God may be perfect. That means mature. It means complete. It means whole, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, equipped for everything that they need to do. So this is the value of the word of God. But as we talk about why we should study the Bible, let me, let me, look at, let me show you this. There are two reasons that we do not study the word of God. There are two reasons that we often do not study the word of God. Uh, first of all, this. It takes too much time. It takes too much time. And I want to say this um, carefully and graciously, but emphatically. Um, I understand the, the time constraints within our culture, um, within, our, within our day-to-day lives. Um, hey, you're looking at a guy. I was talking to my wife about some of this stuff earlier today. You're looking at a guy, four kids, three of them are in diapers, okay? Uh, my poor wife, Right? Um, And let me tell you, I have so much respect for her because she spends time, she gets up earlier than I do um, because she knows that the house is probably not going to be quiet very much during the day. Um, There are some days, you know what, it just, it doesn't happen. Be real with you. There's some days that maybe 
have to do it later in the day or uh, maybe do it in the evening after kids are in bed or something like that. But oftentimes she's up before I'm up. She's up before the sun's up because she's getting into the word of God. She says, hey, this is a priority to me. And, and I want you guys to understand that we make time for the things that are important to us. Does that mean that we win every single day? No. Does that mean that there's never a day that goes by and so help me, you know, that, no, it means this. It means that, hey, when we, step, when we trip up, when things don't go the way we thought they were going to be, you know what happens the next day? The mercies are new, and we get up and we do it again. We get back on the horse. A just man falls, what, seven times, rises yet again. So as we look at studying the scriptures, it, it takes time. There may be days that, hey, if you can get 15 minutes of reading in, power to you, Right? And then there may be days that are flexible and that days that you have some extra time and some energy and you can go uh, sit at a coffee shop or you can go find a cozy place in your house and you can spend an hour studying a passage of scripture using some of the tools that we're talking about. And don't feel like you have to, uh, you know, eat, uh, eating, eat an elephant, right? Don't feel like you have to go in there and you just have to do everything all at one time and you just have to take on this whole book and you have to conquer everything. No, the things that we're going to talk about, the things we're going to look at tonight, these can be done progressively. This isn't something you have to sit down. You have to do all of it all at one time. And if you don't have two hours to devote to it, then you might as well not try to study the word of God. No, 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 no. Yes, it takes time. But it's important. Figure out within your schedule, within your cycles of life, figure out how you can make this a priority. Um, but that's a that's the reason that we don't study. It takes too much time. Uh, secondly, this. Uh, it takes too much work. It takes too much work. Studying takes work. Um, reading sometimes, right, can take work. Uh, reading sometimes, we're just we're tired and our minds are going so many different ways that even just reading can take work, studying even more so. And so it can, it can take work. But I, lo- I love this quote, and I thought this was great. I want to include this in here for you guys from J.C. Ryle. He says this, we must read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. Why? Because the Word of God's valuable. The Word of God's valuable. As we open up the scripture, we need to dig in. We don't need to just be superficial with it and hope that we stumble across something. No, if, if I were to tell you, hey, guarantee as a fact there is treasure in this location, what are we doing? We're going out and uh, we're uh, finding all the tools we need and we're digging in and we're going deep and we're not walking home until we find it, right? We're not leaving until we get it, until it's ours. Um, but oftentimes, instead of what we do with scripture, and this is this is... All of us here today, I think we can all, for the most part, agree on this. Sometimes what happens within our Bible study is that uh, we're more like a guy wandering through a field hoping to come across something. We're more like the guy with the metal detector hoping that it beeps, you know, coming across something valuable. But in reality, when we go to the scripture, we know that there is value there. We know that we're on top of something that's worth obtaining. And so we must read it like we're digging for hidden treasure. So as we go into this on the third page, um, what, are, what are goals? What's the overview of? What, what's everything going to look like as we walk through this? Um, first of all, I want to look at goals, and I want to give you a minute to uh, set some goals for yourself, to think about these things, because I think anytime I've ever gone through any kind of a study, um, I'm always better off when I say, this is what I want to walk away from. This is what I want to take out of here. This is what I want to use in my life. So uh, first of all, uh, our course goals, these are goals, man, I can't even speak tonight. These are goals that I have for you through this. Um, Number one, to learn to read the Bible with understanding. To learn to read the Bible with understanding. And I know in this room, I know many of you uh, well, and I know that many of you, that's that's where you are, and you do have understanding when you read the Scripture. I want to help you just continue to grow in that. 
Because I don't think, if, if any of us are honest in here, right, none of us read the Bible or understand the Bible with full understanding, do we? Uh, not in this lifetime, right? Uh, we're always learning and growing, and so I just want to help you continue to grow within that understanding. And you say, I have minimal understanding. Well, I want to get you to a moderate understanding, okay? I want to help you take those next steps in understanding. Secondly, this, to grow in your love for God and his word. To grow in your love for God and his word. Um, I'll tell you, for me, the greatest thing that helped my relationship with Christ was truly learning how to study the Word of God. Um, when I was just hearing facts about the Word of God and being told, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, very little growth was actually taking place in my life. The, the, the key, the switch that really helped me to uh, grow and to begin these things was I learned how to study the Word of God for myself. I learned how to go to the Scriptures and to interpret the Scriptures, and that was where really, for me personally, I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with spiritual things because I learned how to study it. I didn't have to go find someone else to tell me what it meant. I could open up the Bible for myself, and I could go seek out truths from the Word of God. And for me, it made all the difference. Um, if, I had ne- if someone had never sat down and taught me these things, I-, I don't think I'd be sitting here teaching them to you tonight. All right, this, I would not be up here uh, doing any kind of thing like this because I, just, I didn't have a desire for it until I learned how to go do it for myself. So that's my goal for you, to grow in your love for God and His Word. And finally... To live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. To live as faithful followers. And so uh, as we go out of here, it shouldn't be something where it's just academic, it's just mental, it's just something that's intellectual. It should be something that permeates everything that we are, that we walk out of here desiring to know God better, and that it transforms us, equips us to be faithful followers. I want to take a second, um, and I'll give you guys, I'll give about a minute or two to do this. Um, Look at these next two questions. How could your life be different if you grew in these areas? And then is there anything else you'd like to accomplish with this study? Take a moment of personal reflection. Um, You should have pens. If you you need a pen, there's a couple um, out in the lobby, so just holler at me or feel free to go grab one or borrow one from a friend. Or I have one here. Uh, But if you need a pen or something, let someone know. Uh, Take a minute. Take a couple minutes and just fill in those answers. Think through, reflect, and uh, we'll, we'll pick up here in just a minute. All right, um, if you're finishing up, finish up. I'm just going to read through this course overview. So um, as we look into this, here's a perspective that I want you to have for this. This is not going to be exhaustive. Um, there are books that are written on this topic that are, I mean, that are lengthy uh, books uh, that you can go through and that you can, um, that you can study, and they just they dig into these things at, at a very deep level. Um, and as we go through, um, probably uh, week five, um, I'll, I'll have included with the handouts. Um, every week I'm going to try to give some kind of resource, something that's helpful with the things that we're talking about. The reason it's this long is not because they're all fill-in-the-blank notes. Some of this are resources that I want you to have and take home with you to be able to aid you in your study. Um, and so we'll get into some of those things. But this is more like the driver's education of Bible study, okay? Um, so how many of you guys had to take a driver's ed class? All right, of some kind? Four of you? Okay. Um, <laughs> So um, it's a very dangerous place. I'm going to wait till you all leave to get in my car. Um, a lot of us have probably taken driver's training. You took it from a parent, right? Um, do you walk out of driver's training being able to go through a trick, you know, car, doing all these kind of trick maneuvers and being able to? Travis is like, yes. Okay. All right. Awesome. Good for you. I don't know what driver's ed you took. Um, I'm not sending my kids there. Um, so no, well, what do we do with driver's training? What does driver's training do? Driver's training says these are the rules of the road, okay? This is, in general, the rules of the road. This is how you treat a stop sign. This is how you treat a stop light. These are the things, that you, the do's and the don'ts. It doesn't give you every key to operating a motor vehicle. You don't walk out of there all of a sudden knowing how to perform every piece of maintenance that your car will ever need. 
you walk out of there having a basic understanding of how to function as a competent driver. That's what this study, that's what I really, that's my goal for you, is that we walk out of here and we just have tools, that we have an understanding and overview, that from there we can grow and we can mature and we can put these things to practice and that we can continue to grow through that. Um, with that being said, uh, we're going through six weeks, so here's what we're going to cover every week. This week, um, introduction to Bible study, which we've kind of covered, um, and we're going to start an observation here in just a minute. Um, next week, we'll talk interpretation and application, and so uh, we'll get to all, all three of those mean here in just a minute. Week three, Old Testament versus New Testament. How do we handle those things? How do we handle things that happened before Christ leading up to him? How do we handle uh, the life of Christ into the epistles? Is there a difference in how we study those materials? Week four, uh, we're really at different genres. You know one of the amazing things about the Bible is the Bible is in a lot of ways more like a library than a book. Um, I know it's bound like a book, but there are 66 books within this. Uh, we're talking 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, about 1,500 years from Genesis to Revelation in writing. Um, we're talking uh, different cultures, different empires, um, but all at the same time, one, one unified message. And so when we handle the Word of God, we have poetry, like the Psalms. We have wisdom literature, like Proverbs. We have narratives, like the stories of the kings or the judges or even some of the Gospels. We have sermons within the Gospels. We have epistles. We have, and I'm not trying to overwhelm you with these things, but how do, we, how do we approach that? How do we go into that? Do we study a Psalm the same way that we study through the life of David? What does that look like? And so we'll give you some principles uh, for those things in week four, so you can... That was overwhelming. Push pause on that. We'll get back to it, I promise, okay? Um, number five, week five, we'll talk about other Bible study tools, um, give you some other things that can equip you as you're studying the Word of God. And then week six, dealing with difficult passages. How do we, uh, how do we approach passages that are hard to understand? Um, because we can all admit, right, there's some passages that are hard to understand. There's some passages that they're fairly straightforward, fairly simple. There's some of them that we just look at and we're like, whoa, where do I even start with this? What is this even referring to? What is this even talking about? Why would this be included? And so how do, how do we handle those? When we come to those, do we just avoid them, skip them, and say, hey, those aren't important? Well, we believe the whole word of God is important, so how do we handle that? Um, and so we'll talk about that in our final week once we've built up to that. If you have any questions, that's my email address. Um, don't hesitate to email. If you have any questions, if you say, hey, you said this and it didn't make a lot of sense, or if you say, hey, I want the notes because I missed blanks because I was sleeping while you were talking, hey, that's fine, you know what, it's fine. It's Wednesday night. We've worked all day. I get it. I get it. Um, if you have any complaints, the email is j.rands at Baptist. You'll have, to, you'll have to remember that one for yourself. I didn't put it in your paper. Okay. So, so let's, get into, let's get into Bible study. So the method of Bible study that we're going to be talking about, especially this week, next week, it's going to be our foundation. It's called this. It's called inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study. Um, and inductive Bible study, um, before, we, before we get into what that means, um, before we start, I'm uh, just going to introduce it with these things. Uh, on the surface, Bible study is similar to studying other texts. It's similar to studying other texts. On the surface, okay? So a lot of the principles we'll, we're going to talk about, if you've studied literature um, or you studied um, other uh, some classes like that, then they'll give you um, an understanding of basic principles that we are going to continue to talk about. Um, but there are differences, okay? So it's similar on the surface to other texts. Um, but the greatest difference is this. The greatest difference in studying the Scripture is the Holy Spirit's authorship and illumination. Authorship and illumination, okay? Uh, I want to just address those two words really quickly before we move on. The first is this. Authorship means this. Um, the Word of God is given by God. 
That sounds basic, I know, but uh, when we approach the Word of God, this is the whole, it's given by the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that men were the ones who put pen to paper. We know that the Holy Spirit didn't just mystically write up, pick up a utensil. Uh, a couple times we see God giving like the Ten Commandments or something uh, special for a specific season and time and purpose. Um, but generally speaking, the scripture was given to us through men. But those men were moved by the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, that verse that we read, it's on the, the front page, um, 2 Timothy 3.16, when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that word inspiration is a really awesome word. It's this, it's theonousto. Theo is the Greek root meaning God. Nousto is uh, the word meaning spirit or breath. And so the scripture is God breathed. It's given by the Holy Spirit of God. And so as we study the scripture, we understand that the Holy Spirit is the author of the scripture. But not only does he author the scripture, but he also gives us what we call illumination. You can study this um, in passages, um, especially like John 14 is a great passage for this. Um, And we don't have the time to dig into it in depth. Uh, Maybe sometime we'll do some kind of a doctrines thing and we can get into a little bit of it. But illumination is this. Um, This is that God is going to come alongside you through the Holy Spirit and help you in your understanding and in your study. Uh, The Bible promises, Jesus actually, his words, John 14, says that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever he taught. He's talking to his disciples whatsoever he had said, whatsoever he had commanded. The Holy Spirit's going to come, bring these things back to their memory, bring these things to their understanding. And so the Holy Spirit, as believers, as those that are saved, as those that are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and he helps us as we understand the scriptures. And I included this quote because I thought this was a great summary of this thing. And I couldn't find the author for it. I tried, um, but it says this. The Bible is the only book whose author is always present when it is read. The Bible is the only book whose author is always present when it is read. So as we go into this, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside. The Holy Spirit is moving forward with us. For these reasons, for these reasons, it's always best to begin your study with prayer. It's always best to begin your study with prayer. Understand that can, a, can an unsaved person have an understanding, an intellectual understanding of the Bible? Yes. There are people who don't believe in Jesus that probably know the Scripture better than I do, better than you do. Um, intellectuals that study it as a literary source or a historical source. Um, But at the same time, we understand that their understanding is limited. So their knowledge may be high, but their understanding is limited because the Holy Spirit is not uh, illuminating these passages. They're blinded still in their spirit. And so uh, with that being said, with that being said, I want to have a word of prayer as we continue, as we jump into uh, understanding inductive study. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth and the power of your word. We thank you that you gave it to us in the first place, that you inspired the these men to write, that you gave us this word that is uh, perfect and complete. And so, Father, uh, we are able to go to it. Um, and Lord, what a wonderful treasure that is. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our understanding as we dig into it. Help us to be able to um, learn how to saturate ourselves in it so that we can grow and mature to the believers that you called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to jump into is we're going to jump into uh, what's called inductive Bible study. And we're going to call this inductive as opposed to another term called deductive. Deductive. Um, and I included in there for you, uh, if these words aren't intellectual enough, you can amaze, also known as annoy your friends, with the technical terms, um, which are eisegesis and exegesis uh, are what these are. But here's deductive. This is deductive Bible study. So this is what we want to avoid. This is what we want to be careful about. Deductive Bible study judges the Word of God by what I believe to be true. Deductive says the Word of God is judged by what I believe to be true. 
All right, and there's a subtle difference between these two uh, on the outset, but beneath the surface, very strong, very important. Because here's what deductive Bible study says. Deductive Bible study says, you know what? Uh, first one still. Deductive Bible study says, uh, this is what my experience has been. How does the word of God confirm that experience? You know what the problem is? That we don't always interpret our experiences right, right? Uh, all of a sudden, the word of God becomes subject. Our foundation is what I think, what I believe, my reasoning, how I see things, and then the word of God is going to complement that. We believe the word of God is going to fuel that. Well, the problem with that is, is that our minds are all over the place, right? Our minds, if you and I, if we are honest with ourselves, we're not worthy of being an authority on anything, right? Uh, we are unstable. We are fickle. We are, uh, no, we're not worthy sources of these things. And so deductive study says, how can I get the word of God to back up the things that I already believe? And it's very dangerous, very dangerous. But this is why we are going to practice inductive Bible study, because inductive Bible study does this. It judges what I believe to be true by the word of God. Inductive says the word of God is true, and whatever that says about my feelings, my experiences, the world around me, the Bible is true, my feelings are secondary, and they need to conform to the scripture. And what this does all of a sudden is this gives us a foundation, a lens through which we can view everything else. We leave the prejudices, the biases, we leave these things on the shelf, go to the word of God, and then we interpret all of those things through the lens of the word of God instead of imposing what we already believe to be true on the scripture, okay? And so that is, that's inductive Bible study, inductive Bible study. Um, so what are the, these are the steps. These are the steps for inductive Bible study. We're going to start the first one tonight, and then the other two we'll hit next week. The first step is this, observe. Observe. And so when we observe, we ask this question, what does it say? What does it say? And this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight doing, um, just observing the text. What does it say? But if we just say, what does it say, where does that leave us? It leaves us without, um, it leaves us without any kind of interpretation or application, which are our next two things. So what does it say? Well, we have to move, eventually we have to move beyond what it says to, secondly, interpret. So we observe first, and then we interpret, only after we observe. And interpretation asks this question, what does it mean? So first we say, what does it say? What's being said? We don't go into it with bias. We don't say, I'm reading into We say, just from the text, what does it say? And then we go a little bit deeper, and we say, okay, what does this mean? This is what it says. What does this mean? And then which brings us to our final step, and it's this, apply. Observe, interpret, apply. So apply is, how does what this means affect my life? How does this hit home? How does this resonate? How does this go outside? And oftentimes, um, personally, I think the hardest link is between two and three, between interpreting and applying. Uh, I think a lot of times what happens is we can get caught up there, where we can read the Bible and we can say, well, this is what it means. But then when you say, okay, well, then how does that apply to me, where I am, how I live, how I do my life? That's a tougher question. And so next week, we're going to tackle interpretation, application. What does it mean? How does it affect my life? But understand, when we get to all three of these things, uh, these three things, they build on top of each other. We can't go straight to application without observation. If you haven't observed, then you don't know what the text says. And so how do you apply something that you don't know what it says? If we haven't interpreted, we don't know what it means. So how do I apply something that I don't know what it means? Well, no, we have to, we have to do, do these things in a proper order. We have to observe, then we interpret, then we apply 
And so um, tonight we're only going to talk about the first of those. We're only going to talk about the first of those. Um, and so tonight, let's go on to this next page, and we see step one is this, observe. Observe. So how do we observe? Uh, we're going to call these the five W's, the five W's of observing the text. The first is this. Who is speaking to whom? Who is speaking to whom? And that's just, uh, okay, if it's an epistle, um, which is what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at the book of Philippians. It's an epistle. Who wrote it? Uh, what do we know about them? Who are they writing it to? Well, we're looking at the book of Philippians, so it's written to the Philippians, and he says that they're in the text, uh, as we'll see in a few minutes. Who is speaking to whom? Uh, secondly, what are they saying? What are they saying? And then um, I just gave some examples of pressing deeper into those as your A's and B's. If you're overwhelmed with that, just set those to the side. You can take this home. You can look at it yourself. What are they saying? Uh, not only what are they saying, uh, but when are they saying it? When are they saying it? What's the time frame? What's the uh, story behind the story? When are they saying these things? Why do they say it? Why do they say it? So are they addressing an issue? Are they trying to encourage believers? Is there some kind of sin in this church? Are they trying to help them to uh, organize? Are they trying to challenge them to do more? Like, what's, why are they saying the things that are saying? Because, you know, as we look at the scripture, um, a, lot of, a lot of us, especially extroverts, uh, right, we can be accused of wasting words, right? Probably not unjustifiably, right? Uh, does God waste words? No. No, if God gave us this word, God is, oh, man, why did I say that? You know what I'm saying? We do that. God doesn't do that. So why is this being said? What's the, what's the significance of this? Um, and then finally, what other factors What other factors will affect interpretation? What other factors will affect interpretation? So is there something else that's special or significant here that doesn't fall under those categories? Um, and I'm going to give you a few tips here for observation, and then we're going to practice, okay? Sound good for everybody? All right. So other tips for observation. Um, these are things that I have found to be helpful for me. Um, these are some things that have compiled from a few different things. Um, first, observe with a pencil or pen or laptop or iPad. Um, if you're like me, you have a short memory, right? And even if you have a great memory, um, when it comes to Scripture, we are, I mean, I'm marking up stuff constantly. I'm going to show you an example of this in a minute. Um, secondly, I love this. This is one of those things that's like one of my favorite ways to study Scripture. Print out your text so you can write on it directly. So you can interact with the text. Um, I gave you a couple examples of it. Here's mine marked up on the next page. I marked it up while we were going through it um, during the one o'clock service. And so I love printing out scripture, double spacing it, so you can all of a sudden, you can write in between, you can circle things, you can, I mean, you can see the mess I made. Good luck understanding what this means, but I know what this means, okay? So can everyone see my little, my little chicken scratch here? Good luck knowing what this means, but I know what this means, okay? Um, same, thing, same thing for you. Go through it, take notes, mark it up, do it somewhere. You see, like this Bible is a Bible that I like to teach and preach from. I don't have any room to write in this Bible. I don't even underline in this Bible because it's so it's such small print. But what I can do is I can print it out on a paper like this, and all of a sudden, all these doors open up. I'm able to interact with the text in a more meaningful way. And so for me, I love doing that. I would encourage you to try it um, because anyone I've ever talked to that's tried it has said, yes, that's amazing. I love doing it this way. It's so much fun. Uh, number three, observe patterns within the text. Observe patterns within the text. 
This kind of gives us the chance to be detectives a little bit. We look for comparisons and contrasts, okay? Do we see uh, metaphors within that? Uh, your word's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The Lord, the, the Lord our God is a consuming fire. All of a sudden we see these word pictures. How is he being compared to? What is that? Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. He's comparing himself in metaphor to these things. Uh, we see contrasts where we see light and darkness being contrasted to each other. Why are those things put together? What's going on here uh, that we can understand? So mark those as we observe. We're not trying to get to understanding yet. We're just observing. And so we can circle things. We can draw lines between them. We can make lists off to the side, interact with the text, observe in a meaningful way. Um, we're looking for parallelism. We'll get to parallelism later. I'm not even going to touch that tonight. Um, we'll get to that when we're talking about different genres of Scripture because that's mostly in poetry. Um, repetition is a big one. Repetition is a big one. And let me tell you, repetition, if the rest of these, you're just like, you're losing me. Repetition, anyone can do. You know what we're doing in repetition? How many times is this word repeated? You're reading through the text and you say, hey, this word's being used a lot. I wonder what that means. Count up the times. Oh, wow, that's used seven times in nine verses. Well, that seems like a lot. So all of a sudden, you know what we're finding? You just found a theme. You found a theme within that passage of scripture just by counting up words that are repeated. And so now you know, okay, he's referring to, he's talking a lot about joy. He's talking a lot about patience or endurance. And so looking for repetition, even words that are, um, uh, that are gonna be synonymous with words. Um, look at uh, number four, mark linking words. Um, these are like like, for, so that, therefore, and, but. Um, Find something, what I like to do with these even, is I like to draw arrows back and forth. If it's doing, pointing backwards in the text, if it's pointing forwards in the text, um, if it's joining two thoughts, if it's like an and and it's joining two thoughts, I like to circle those and attach those. It just helps me visually. Um, if you're looking at like a but, you can cross through it. So, okay, this is true, but this. You're seeing contrasts within that. So mark linking words. Again, find something that works for you. It doesn't matter that Nate does it or anything like that, but going through the text. Write down connections you see with other passages of Scripture. It's on the next page there, number five. Write down connections you see with other passages of Scripture. So, and again, we're in the observation phase right now. So this doesn't mean chase every rabbit quite yet, okay? Um, just say, okay, you're reading through and you're like, you know what? This kind of reminds me of such and such passage. Maybe you don't even remember the verse. Write the phrase down. Just in the margin, just say, oh, that kind of reminds me of, scribble the phrase out. And then go back, you can look it up later. Or if you know the reference, you can put the reference down. But think about, as these things begin to come together, what connection do you see with other scripture? The Bible is uh, the only book that truly, fully interprets uh, itself with itself. And so we can understand the scripture by looking at other places. Um, write down allusions to time or place, number six. And so where are they writing? How are these writing? And we're going to talk about this in a minute, how this applies. Mark terms of conclusion, so thus, for this reason. So when it comes to the end of, a, of this challenge, so for this cause, whatever, okay? Well, that's kind of that's this phrase that says, big deal coming, right? Uh, big thing ahead. So mark those. He's coming to a climax. Number eight, so important, write down questions. When you think of questions that you have, write them down. Don't just think, oh, I wonder about and just go off into space and then forget about it. Write it down as you're doing that. Um, and then memorize key verses. Scripture memory is so valuable, but uh, so often what we do is we relegate Scripture memory to like things that the kids do in Awana right? Um, if we're honest, probably most of us in here don't have a strong habit of memorizing scripture. Um, but you know, when Jesus says that he's going to bring all things to our remembrance, uh, when the Holy Spirit's going to come bring all things to our remembrance, he's not promising to teach you this thing that you've never read before, you've never studied before, you've never heard before. He's saying he's going to take these things that you've already read, studied, memorized, and bring them back to your mind when they're necessary. 
But if we, uh, so scripture memory is almost like um, putting, uh, putting ammo in our weapon, right? Because now God can use those things. He can draw them out as the time comes for the Holy Spirit to use these things. And so memorizing scripture is a great way to meditate on scripture because you know what you can do? Uh, you, can, you may not be able to sit at your desk all day with a Bible out and read over a verse over and over and over again, but you know what you can do when you've memorized that verse? You can go and you can sit at your desk and you can be reflecting and you're thinking, wow, God so loved the world. Wow. He gave his only begotten God. You can go over and over and over and you can be studying it without a piece of paper, without it in front of you, but you can't do that if you don't know the scripture. And so I'd encourage you to memorize. I'm not saying take chunks of and memorize the whole. Man, hey, if you, wanted, if you had the mind for it and you want to memorize you know, a book of the Bible or a chapter or whatever, awesome. Hey, start with a verse. Start with a verse. Find something that, that's significant, that has some meaning to you, that, that God's putting on your heart. Memorize scripture. So let's practice this, practicing observation. I gave you um, this passage of scripture, Philippians 1, 1 through 11 right here. And then I, uh, on, the second, on the next page over from it, um, there's some example questions. And so this is what I want to do. I want to take about five minutes, um, four or five minutes. Uh, I want to get out of here um, a few minutes after 8. I think I want to dismiss this at 8.15. Am I right on that? 8.15, I think I want to dismiss this. So I want to get out of here at 8.05, 8.10, um, so we can get where we need to be, and we have plenty of time for that. Let's take about five minutes and uh, look at this passage of Scripture, and then I wrote some example questions there on the next page. Take a few minutes and fill in those answers. Um, mark up, feel free to mark up this scripture that you have right there. Um, if you need a pen, again, uh, there's some of those out in the lobby. If you, if you need a copy of this, if you've been cheating off of someone and you want to get your own copy, there, I think there's still more copies out there, so feel free to do that. Take about five minutes, go through that, um, and try to answer this question as best you can. If you're not finding the answer for it, we're going to go through some of those, so don't sweat it, don't worry about it. This is not pass-fail, this is not... A, B, C, D, whatever. Um, if you have questions of your own, if you get through that, fill in some of the questions of your own. So take about five minutes and, and do that. All right, let's go ahead and um, pause where you're at, and I'll let you go through and you can um, complete this. Actually, I included at the very end another passage of Scripture, so I'm going to give you a little bit of homework for the week. Um, and so obviously uh, it's optional to you, but I would encourage you um, to participate, to put these things into practice. I think it would be valuable for you, especially moving forward um, and just kind of uh, beginning to gain um, competency in just observation. Um, one of the beautiful things about observation is I don't know that there's a wrong way to observe. I mean, there probably is, but observing, we're just trying to gather all the data. We're just trying to pull everything together. So it's not pass-fail, it's not right-wrong, it's just we're gathering everything and we're asking questions and examining, we're turning over rocks, uh, Martin Luther said it this way, uh, the analogy that he gave for his Bible study, uh, it was like shaking fruit off of a tree. First he would shake the tree, and then he would go and he would shake every uh, branch, and then he'd shake every limb off of the branch, and then he'd shake every leaf off of the limb on the branch, and then he'd go and he'd turn over all the leaves that fell to the ground. That was how he would gather fruit from the Word of God. And so that's kind of what we're doing with observation. We're just shaking the whole passage down, trying to have understanding of all of these things, Okay. Uh, just trying to actually just observe these things at this point. So first of all, uh, some, uh, let's go through these, these example questions. First, who wrote the book? Paul. And who else is included with him there? Timothy, Timotheus. Um, and so we see Paul and Timotheus. Paul and Timothy uh, are involved. So this letter of Paul, Timothy, for some context, um, was probably the scribe for this. He's probably the one writing it out for him. Uh, to whom was the book written? To who? 
the saints at Philippi, right? We see that at the end of that in verse number one. Um, so all the saints in Philippi. Um, why does Paul, what are some reasons that Paul thanks God for the Philippians? There's one major one, and I think there's some things that branch off of this. Why does Paul thank God for the Philippians? For the fellowship in the gospel, verse number five. Um, and so the rest of that's kind of surrounding that main theme. Um, and so there are other things that would fit under that, um, but kind of big, bold answer for the fellowship um, in the gospel. What's Paul's prayer for the Philippians? Okay, uh, that their love would grow as they mature in Christ. What else? There are actually three elements to this, if we're observing very carefully. So that their love, that their love would grow, verse number nine. What else? What do we see in verse number, um, actually this continues in verse number 10, which is my fault for throwing you off as a trick uh, verse numbering. What do we see in verse number 10? Well, how does this prayer continue? That their love may abound, and then what else? So they may approve of things that are excellent. And what, what else do we see? Last thing. Sincere without offense until the day of Christ, to persevere in that. So, um, so those are the three elements of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And so something that you could do with this, just throwing it out as an, as an idea, is so what you could do is you could take and you could put somewhere in your margin, you could put uh, Paul's prayer, and you could put those three bullets. Or what I did is I circled, and this I pray, and I circled those three things. I numbered them one, two, three. Um, and so I'm just gathering information. I'm just organizing this in some way that I can go back to and see these things quickly. Um, what do we observe about the fruits of righteousness? Did anyone get this far? Verse number 11. What do we observe about the fruits of righteousness? They're for God's glory. There's one other thing that's really, really cool. They're by Jesus Christ. So they come by Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of God. What words are used multiple times in this passage? All right, uh, Jesus Christ. How many times is Jesus Christ used? Or Jesus or Christ or Christ Jesus, some form. What do you have? You have seven that Jesus Christ is used? So I think I have six. So it's something like that. You can count up, count up for yourself. Oh, I see one I missed. See, look at that, seven. Look at that, see? Megan, Megan here. You come up here, take the mic. Uh, I'm just kidding. No. So right there, you see? So if this will encourage you, right? I totally missed. I had circled this thing, and I totally missed one right there on the first line. It happens as we're observing, right? So there are seven times that it's used. What? That's right. That's, oh, just wait. We're not done yet. Okay. Detention. Um, all right. So we have Christ Jesus referred to, so we have seven times in how many verses? We're looking at the first 11 verses. All right? So we see this theme in the book. You know actually how many times, how, you know how many times Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus are used within the book of Philippians? It's only four chapters long. 51 times. 51 times in four chapters we see Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. Some variation talking about Jesus 51 times. So the book is about, it's about who? Jesus Christ. Um, at the same time, it's a very personal letter. Right? We see this from the very beginning. Uh, what's the tone of the introduction? It's encouraging, right? Um, it's very personal. Paul continually says, I thank my God. Always in every prayer of mine, for he's talking about his prayer. He's talking about the things that he is, how he's yearning for them and how he desires 
them, and he desires to see them grow and to see the fruit of these things. So very, very, very encouraging. So that's, uh, in general, uh, what observation looks like. Um, and so, like I said, here's notes just that I'm taking as I'm observing the passage. I'm circling who it's by. I'm circling who it's to, and I'm drawing marks in between those. I'm making notes uh, of the theme, some of the emotion behind this, um, the encouraging notes in that. Um, and so I'm taking this, and, and this is what I'm encouraging you to learn to do, is to go in and to saturate yourself with it. Just mark it up. And that's why it's beautiful to be able to print out on a piece of paper. Um, there's some Bibles that are sold that are double-spaced, and it's so great to be able just to get in and just tear apart and be able to mark up and to draw these observations from the Word of God. Um, so I want to read you guys um, this story. This is kind of how we're going to wrap up our time here. We're going to take about five minutes. We're going to read through um, this story called Agassiz and the Fish. Um, and this is a story that I hope um, will just kind of cement in your minds the idea of observation and then kind of lead us onto the path for next week as we get into interpretation and application. So um, I, read, I put this out for you so that you just didn't have to just listen to me read so you can kind of read along with. Um, but I think, I think this is just a really well-written story. It's over, um, I cited it uh, at the end here. This story is from 1879. So it's about 150 years old, um, but it's so applicable to the things that we're talking about here today. Uh, here's, how, here's how it goes. It was more than 15 years ago that I entered the laboratory of Professor Agassiz, and I told him I had enrolled my name in the scientific school as a student of natural history. He asked me a few questions about my object in coming, my antecedents generally, the mode in which I afterwards proposed to use the knowledge I might acquire, and finally, whether I wished to special study any special branch. To the latter, I replied that while I wished to be well-grounded in all departments of zoology, I purposed to devote myself specially to insects. When do you wish to begin, he asked. Now, I replied. This seemed to please him, and with an energetic very well, he reached from a shelf to a huge jar of specimens in yellow alcohol. Take this fish, he said, and look at it. We call it a hemulon. By and by, I'll ask what you have seen. With that, he left me. I was conscious of a passing feeling of disappointment, for gazing at a fish did not commend itself to an ardent entomologist. In ten minutes, I had seen all that could be seen in that fish. Pause for just a second. Remember, we're looking at this as an analogy for Bible study. Okay, so he says, in ten minutes, I've seen everything there is to see about a fish. How many of you guys, you see a fish and you're like... I don't even need 10 minutes, right? Um, so let, let's keep reading. Let's see what we, what we find here. So I stared at this fish, saw everything that could be seen, and started in search of the professor, who had, however, left the museum. When I returned, after lingering over some of the odd animals stored in the upper apartment, my specimen was dry all over. I dashed the fluid over the fish as if to resuscitate it from a fainting fit and looked with anxiety for a return of a normal, sloppy appearance. This little excitement over nothing was to be done but return to a steadfast gaze at my mute companion. Half an hour passed, an hour, another hour. The fish began to look loathsome. I turned it over and around, looked it in the face, ghastly. From behind, beneath, above, sideways, had a three-quarters view, just as ghastly. I was in despair. At an early hour, I concluded lunch was necessary. So with infinite relief, the fish was carefully replaced in the jar, and for an hour, I was free. On my return, I learned that Professor Agassiz had been at the museum, but had gone and would not return for several hours. My fellow students were too busy to be disturbed by continued conversation. Slowly, I drew forth that hideous fish, and with a feeling of desperation, again looked at it. I might not use a magnifying glass. Instruments of all kinds were interdicted. My two hands, two eyes, and the fish. It seemed a most limited field. I pushed my fingers down its throat to see how sharp its teeth were. 
I began to count the scales in different rows until I was convinced it was nonsense. At last, a happy thought struck me. I would draw the fish. And now, with surprise, I began to discover new features in the creature. Just then, the professor returned. That's right, said he. A pencil is one of the best eyes. I'm glad to notice, too, that you keep your specimen wet and your bottle corked. With these encouraging words, he added, well, what is it like? He listened attentively to my brief rehearsal of the structure of parts, whose names were still unknown to me. The fringed gill arch is movable, a perculum, the pores of the head, fleshy lips, lidless eyes, the lateral line, the spinous fin, the forked tail, the compressed and arched body. When I had finished, he waited as if expecting more, and then with an air of disappointment. You have not looked very carefully. <laughs> Why? He continued more earnestly. You haven't seen one of the most conspicuous features of the animal, which is plainly before your eyes as the fish itself. Look again, look again, and he left me to my misery. I was piqued. I was mortified. Still more of that wretched fish. But now I set myself to the task with a will and discovered one new thing after another until I saw how just the professor's criticism had been. The afternoon passed quickly, and when towards its close, the professor inquired, Do you see it yet? No, I replied, I'm certain I do not, but I see how little I saw before. That is next best, said he earnestly, but I won't hear you now. Put away your fish, go home. Perhaps you'll be ready with a better answer in the morning. I will examine you before you look at the fish. This was disconcerting. Not only must I think of my fish all night studying without the object before me, what this unknown but most visible feature might be, but also without reviewing my new discoveries. I must give an exact account of them the next day. I had a bad memory, so I walked home by Charles River in a distracted state with my two perplexities. The cordial greeting from the professor the next morning was reassuring. Here was a man who seemed to be quite as anxious as I that I should see for myself what he saw. Do you perhaps mean, I asked, that the fish has symmetrical sides with paired organs? His thoroughly pleased, of course, of course, repaid the wakeful hours of the previous night. After he had discoursed most happily and enthusiastically, as he always did, upon the importance of this point, I ventured to ask what I should do next. Oh, look at your fish, he said, and left me again to my own devices. In a little more than an hour, he returned and heard my new catalog. That's good, that's good, he repeated, but that is not all. Go on. So for three long days, he placed that fish before my eyes, forbidding me to look at anything else or to use any artificial aid. Look, 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 was his repeated injunction. This was the best entomological lesson I ever had, a lesson whose influence was extended to the details of every subsequent study, a legacy the professor has left to me as he left it to many others of inestimable value, which we could not buy and with which we could not part. The fourth day, a second fish of the same group was placed beside the first. I was bidden to point out the resemblances and differences between the two. Another and another followed until the entire family lay before me and a whole legion of jars covered the table and surrounding shelves. The odor had become a pleasant perfume, and even now the sight of an old six-inch worm-eating cork brings fragrant memories. The whole group of hemulons was thus brought into review, and whether engaged upon the dissection of the internal organs, preparation and examination of the bony framework, or the description of the various parts, Agassiz's training in the method of observing facts in their orderly arrangement was ever accomplished, or accompanied by the urgent exhortation not to be content with them. He says this, facts are stupid things, he would say, until brought into connection with some general law. So what do we see? We see this student that learned to observe and to observe and to observe. And when he had thought he had observed everything, what does the professor come in and say? You don't even see the most obvious thing yet. So for hours, for days, he spends studying and just observing these fish, just observing these specimens. How much more so the word of God? 
How much more so the scripture? As we go to it, we observe and we see all, sometimes we go to it and we say, oh, I've read, I've read that passage a dozen times before. I've read that passage a hundred times before. I've known that verse for years. And then what does the word of God do? What does the scripture do? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit illuminates this thing. We're like, how did I miss that? How did I not see that? All of a sudden, as we observe the word of God, we realize how little we understood and observed before, right? But this is also important. Facts are stupid things until brought into connection with some general law. Observation by itself isn't everything, but observation is the first thing. And so uh, for this week, um, I print on the back here, Philippians 1, 12 through 26. And so this is just a continuation of the passage that we looked at just a few minutes ago. And so this is my encouragement to you this week. This is my challenge to you this week as we step out of here. Take your time, go through, spend time, even if, even if you spend five minutes a day, or maybe you just go over this for a lot of time every day, whatever. Whatever you're able to do, go through and observe. Go through this, ask questions of the text. Ask your own questions, ask those questions that we went through. Use the resources that you have and just observe, observe, observe. And then next week when we come back together, I encourage you to find someone that's gone through it or even sit down together and talk about these observations. Observe the text together. And then from there, we're going to move on to interpretation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word.